0: Nate Oates and the Alabama Crimson Tide were reportedly very surprised by the news that Charles Bediaco is staying in the NBA draft process rather than returning to Alabama. What is next for Bediaco and is there hope for Alabama to find some front court help in the transfer portal? You are locked on college basketball,
1: part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hey there! Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host Andy Patton, and today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com/slash/lockedoncollege, and when you enter promo code Locked On College, they will throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. All right, joined today by the great Leaf Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board, regular guest for us on Locked On College Basketball, also currently the temporary host of the Locked On Jazz Podcast. Congratulations to you, Leif. Very excited to get your thoughts on four fun NBA draft prospects that we're going to talk about in the final two segments of the show, guys who seems to boost their stock with strong performances at the Combine. But we are going to lead off the show talking about Mr. Charles Bediaco, two-year starter for Alabama at the center position, very, very good defensive player, very good rim run- runner, not a particularly elite scorer in the sense that he didn't score a lot of points. I think he was under seven points per game in each of his two seasons at Alabama, but a guy who is now going to stay in the draft process. And, and leaf, I want to get to what this is going to mean for, for Alabama, but before we do that, I kind of want to hear just your thoughts on his decision to stay in the draft process and maybe a little bit about what his NBA draft kind of combine process, like what, what it looks like for him right now as he it looks towards a uh, late June in the draft.
1: Yeah. Betty Oko staying in surprised me. I mm-hmm. think the rationale would be that Noah Pringle was a, was kind yeah. of pushing on the door and, improving mm-hmm. uh, as the year went on in the play. I almost said playoffs because I've been watching the last in March madness. Right. Um, you saw Pringle kind of push uh Bediaco a little bit. So I wonder if it's not quite to the degree of Adama Sanogo getting bumped mm-hmm. out of Yukon, even though he's the most outstanding player, uh, but Klingon probably was better yeah, uh, and they knew it or a Philip Petrusev and mm-hmm. Drew Timmy situation. I don't know if it's quite that. But I wonder if that played a factor because otherwise Pringle would have transferred and Betty thought maybe my odds are good enough because I was anchoring one of the best defenses in the country, the top rebounding team in the country. So therefore Mm -hmm. I have got a chance right now. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if it factor that in, but I was still surprised um, Mm -hmm. in today's day and age where you make money and there's not that incentive of making different amounts of money as a pro uh, for a guy who's a non-guaranteed draft pick. Uh, I would have expected him to transfer or, or look on the market, see you know, if he can get some money, then find a place that fits him very well. Um, Betty Aco is a good player. I don't mm-hmm. foresee him having much success in terms of being drafted, yeah. but I could see him carving out a role in the NBA down the road. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he's a little bit raw. I mean, it'll be him. It'll be Colin Castleton, Cliff O'Marui kind of mm-hmm. fighting for those late round or late second round picks or maybe they're the top coveted big guys on the undrafted free agent market Mm
0: -hmm. yeah but the pringle thing makes sense and I, i i kind of figured we would eventually kind of touch on his role and how much it's obviously going to be expanded next year for alabama but yeah it does feel like if a decision was going to be made in this regard that it would have been made to enter the portal at least enter the draft process and also enter the transfer portal because the amount of money and potential interest that betty akko would have got in the transfer portal feels a lot to me like i I, the nil stuff is so difficult for us to pin down like we're hearing these outrageous numbers for somebody like jesse edwards is he actually getting three-fourths of a million dollars i don't know uh is he getting promised that and are they going to deliver on that like there's a lot of aspects of NIL that until it is more regulated and the numbers are are more revealed, if that ever happens, it kind of makes it hard to project. But I suspect that your theory that there's pro- more money for him or at least an, a comparable amount of money for him uh, if he stays in college versus going in the professional route is probably correct. And a lot of the, the insights that I have read about this say that a People felt that he needed one more year. I'm not sure what he would have done differently in another year at Alabama. It's not like he's going to all of a sudden become a 38% three-point shooter, which is the kind of thing that would dramatically increase his draft stock. That's not super likely or, or at all really feasible for Mediaco. So to me, I can kind of see just saying, "Hey, I'm just I'm ready to move on." Maybe he doesn't like school. Like there's there's a lot of different factors here that that you know we're not necessarily privy to. But uh, it was surprising to me to see a big back to the basket, not outside shooting center choose the NBA over college because pre- lately it has kind of been the exact opposite for most of the guys that kind of fit that that archetype.
1: Yeah, I, I share that sentiment. I mean, Jesse Edwards is a good example. I think mm-hmm. Edwards is probably a slightly better college basketball player than Betty Ako, but he's also older, like, right? Who's to say that Betty Ako's third year couldn't have been like Jesse Edwards is performance last year was mm-hmm. uh if he was more featured like you got to think about uh there's Brandon Miller who collected eight rebounds a game and then there was right. Noah Clowney who's also probably going to be a top 20 pick who yeah. collected eight eight and a half rebounds a game mm-hmm. uh and so his counting stats were pedestrian but his impact was pretty large still on a loaded basketball team mm-hmm. so maybe your team's not as good which I understand is not what you want to hear from right. Alabama fan or if you're Nate Oates mm-hmm. but uh, I think Betty Occo had a very real possibility of putting up big stats of the ilk of Jesse Edwards um, I, I'm curious to see if Betty Occo has a way of like does he measure in with a longer wingspan that that just all of a sudden says mm-hmm. okay we might as well take a shot on this guy because he's still pretty young he played two right. years and he was a highly regarded prospect who lived up to the hype from like more or less like it, it mm-hmm. wasn't crazy output but if you're picked, you know, 25th was, I believe, where he was around, 25th mm-hmm. through 30th in your yeah. recruiting class. You're now a, a starting center on a team that was the number one team in the country as mm-hmm. a sophomore. And he also started as a freshman. That's that's living up to success. Mm-hmm. So I, I share your sentiment that I, I would have expected him to just transfer. I would have expected him to stay in the college ranks based on the NIL climate of what you hear. But uh, I wonder if he's got like an ace in his sleeve of, of mm-hmm. something that, that we don't know that makes him more confident or if it just is like a seemingly puzzling decision in all regards.
0: Yeah, totally could be that. Sometimes people make decisions that we don't really understand. That's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, before we move on from the topic, I do want to talk a little bit more about this from the Alabama side. We mentioned Noah Pringle almost certainly stepping into a starting role or a significantly more featured role, which was going to happen, I think, regardless, uh, just with the amount of talent that this team has lost already. But now it's even more clear for him. But I wonder if you think there are some potential like late game transfer portal moves that that Alabama could try to make. They have made some solid additions in the portal, but all in the backcourt. Uh, they add Aaron Estrada from Hofstra. They add Latrell Wrightsell from uh, Cal State Fullerton, two very talented guards. But do you think that, I mean, we look at the names that are kind of available right now. There's you know, there's Ernest Uday. Is is he, is he get a chance? Is there a chance they could go land him? Even though Duke's kind of sniffing around, Connor Vanover, would a guy who spent a lot of time at, at Arkansas, would he go to Alabama? Uh, you know, obviously it would be a more reserve role for him there. But there's not a ton of front court depth in the portal right now that's super appealing. And I wonder if you think if if Bama is really going to go that router, if they might just say, hey, we're okay with what we got, and we're just going to let those guys play some more minutes next year.
1: Yeah, I would personally say let Noah Pringle eat mm-hmm. on the inside. I mean, he was yeah. battling against Nathan Mensa in that game that they lost. I thought he was one of the bright spots of that game, able to mm-hmm. battle on the glass, get some offensive rebounds. In his limited minutes, his per-rebound numbers are really impressive. Yeah. Uh, so I think Noah Pringle is going to be a guy who breaks out in SEC play this year. Uh, mm-hmm. As for the transfer additions, I'll never say that they won't continue mm-hmm. to make additions. I, I think it's it's unwise to say that in the era of mm-hmm. basketball that we're witnessing but I don't foresee it being in the front court. I, I feel like those guards you mentioned are nice players. While they're nice players, they're not needle movers in the sec. Right. Um, so maybe uh, a player that goes to Alabama on the wing um, could enter. I, I just don't see any players in the front court that I think would like to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, battle out for time with Noah Pringle, mm-hmm. because I, like I mentioned, I think that may have been a contributing factor for Betty Ako's, uh premature yeah. departure.
0: Well, if ton of insight coming our way here and perspective to share with us about some of these draft risers. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on the two guys we're going to cover here in the second segment. Virginia guard Reese Beekman and Texas forward Dylan Mitchell. Before we get to that, though... Today's episode of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Let me tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bird Dogs. As we move into the summer and short season, I just got a couple pairs of Bird Dogs for the very first time. Usually, I'm not particularly concerned about the shorts that I'm wearing, but I actually really look forward to the days where I get to wear these Bird Dogs because they are so comfortable. They fit perfectly. The stretchy fabric makes them easy to wear in any situation, and they just Kind of fit any situation. I can wear them on a date. I could wear them to the swimming pool. I can wear them in my yard. I can just wear them walking around the house. Either way, it just doesn't matter. Uh, They're super practical. It gets really hot in this room when I'm recording podcasts. I was just kind of saying this earlier. I've been recording a lot of podcasts lately before I go on vacation, and it's nice to have something that's stretchy, that's cool. The liner helps me feel like I can focus more on the show and don't have to worry about anything else going on. So if you want to feel the same way, All you need to do is go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. And when you enter our promo code locked on college, they will throw in a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every single bird dogs, a proud sponsor, the locked on podcast network. All right, leaf want to talk a little bit about your experience at the NBA draft combine, of course, getting the opportunity to see a handful of the very best college basketball, overtime elite players, everybody who was there and kind of what they're bringing to the NBA draft process. Uh, But we had a, we kind of had a back and forth, figured out which guys we wanted to talk about here on today's show. We'll hopefully be able to cover many more players over the next few weeks leading up to the NBA draft. But I want to start talking about a guy that I know for a fact you are a big fan of. We've talked about this on and off the podcast in the past. And that is Reese Beekman, Beekman, six foot three guard played three years, at Virginia, averaged nine and a half points and just over five boards or five assists per game last year. Talk to me about what you saw from him at the combine and kind of what makes you, I, I presume, even more excited about his potential NBA draft, uh, uh, where he might end up and what he might be able to do at the next level.
1: Yeah, for, for context, Reese Beekman uh, is a guy who defensively is where he makes his money. Mm -hmm. He was defensive player of the year this past year in the ACC. And I spoke to Reese Beekman and he said he thought he was more deserving of the ACC defensive player of the year, the year prior Mm -hmm. when he did not win it. And he said that he thought Jesse Edwards had a really strong case uh, this this past year. So, I mean, that speaks to modesty, but defense Mm -hmm. is what his main calling card is at the NBA. So a lot of teams, you want, you want a a second unit guy to be a defensive disruptor, put some pressure Mm -hmm. on the ball. And then what else does Beekman do? Like, mm-hmm. you could put this into context. Virginia plays exceptionally slowly, as those who are listening to this probably know. Yeah. <laughs> what what I think will help him is Beekman's game isn't built on like guile. He's fast, mm-hmm. and he's learned how to play the pick and roll as they incorporated more and more pick and roll into what was typically a blocker mover. I spoke to him on that, and if you guys mm-hmm. want more insight on that, I um I posted this on Twitter my interview mm-hmm. with Reese Beekman, and he basically told me. What he's trying to learn in the NBA is prove that he can shoot spot ups Mm -hmm. and that he's comfortable playing with the space and pace of the NBA, which I think will actually help his unique traits is the space of the NBA. He can get downhill and he did so at will at the combine Mm -hmm. against these superior athletes to what anyone is used to facing in college basketball. Beekman was still getting to the rim at will. Missed a few layups, but he would get there all, all the time, and he'd tap his own rebound. He had three steals in each game and could have been more as they were basically platooning guards. They would switch off, and they would do full-sell hockey subs occasionally. Mm-hmm. And so he's someone that I thought made himself some money that weekend uh, yeah. or last week, I should say, just mm-hmm. because a lot of these players aren't used to running a show with players that need to ball as often as they do because they're the most talented. He was able to run it seamlessly, defend top-level guards, and give them fits. And then he made a few shots as well. So Mm -hmm. I I think he's someone who improved his stock from around 50 to, I expect him to go in the first 10 picks of the second round, if not sooner. Um, So I I think he really made himself some money. And the one sad thing is I I love watching Virginia play and Beekman, I think has been the best player the last few years. So Mm -hmm. that'll be a little bit for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'll be a bummer to not have him back in the college ranks next year, assuming that's the the case, the situation. But uh, I'm always, it's always fun to see guys who are like, You know, you have a comparison of a guy like Amani Bates, who's a very offensive focused player and is used to having the ball in his hands a lot. And then you have him going up against a guy like Reese Beekman, like just using specific player examples here. You have a guy like Beekman who's, you know, again, he's going to make his money on the defensive end of the floor and they're just – such different types of players who participate in these events and it's it's always interesting to kind of see how that's going to to shake out and for Beekman for him to show some of those skills of like hey I can get to the basket and I can play a little bit faster paced game than what you saw in college like that's probably what a lot of scouts really needed to see from him so it's encouraging that he was able to go out there and and do that Dylan yeah, Mitchell was sorry go ahead Leaf.
1: Oh, one, one last note is I think mm-hmm. his biggest calling card that he didn't get mm-hmm. a show at Virginia is I can pass in a blocker mover when the pass is premeditated. Like you're yeah. going to find the guy on the wing and if they set a good screen, they'll be mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you learned that he can operate a pick and roll. And that was huge for executives because yeah. you knew he was going to defend the ball well. So if mm-hmm. he can run a pick and roll, defend the ball well, hit a few jump shots. He's not a great shooter, but he mm-hmm. he hit a few. Uh, why can't he be Trey Jones-esque? Someone that's already carved out solid minutes in the NBA. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. a little different than Andrew Nemhard, a zag, Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, is more offensively oriented. He can, Mm -hmm. he can really run the pick and roll, Mm -hmm. but I think he's a better defender than Andrew Nemhard, who also is pretty good on that side Mm -hmm. and runs. It was uh, getting all rookie votes. Uh, So I think there's definitely a place in the NBA for these kind of upperclassmen guards Mm -hmm. that pride themselves on one side of the ball and have a specific skill set. And then they can translate it into, success in the NBA level.
0: Well, the cleanest way to transition away from talking about upperclassmen guards is to talk about a one and done wing, which is who we're going to talk about next. That's Dylan Mitchell uh, out of the University of Texas, uh, a player that I was extremely interested to see how this was going to work for him because every year there's a couple one and done guys like this where they really didn't produce much in college and there's no debate that that's the case with Mitchell here about four points four boards per game a really deep really veteran laden Texas squad they had so many guys who were in their fifth and final year of college basketball last year so not a shock that Mitchell didn't get a ton of playing time uh, a very productive score from an efficiency standpoint but he didn't even shoot any threes like in college it just wasn't a part of his game uh, Leaf I'd love to hear what stood out about how he performed at the Combine. Again, a player that I think a lot of scouts and GMs really needed to see something from in order to know how they wanted to evaluate him heading into the season.
1: Yeah, I think you really gave the background nicely there of Mm -hmm. of that they were in a win-now mode. And he he alluded Mm -hmm. to this. This is another guy that I got to interact with personally Mm -hmm. and and I interviewed. So if you want to find that one on Twitter, it's Mm -hmm. also there. And his main pitch to me, I asked him a question essentially that is, what are you trying to show the scouts? Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously the jump shots are concern, but what else are you trying to show them? Because they know you're a good athlete. Right. And he basically said, well, I played on a team where we had to win because Mm -hmm. we had turmoil with the coach and that's Chris beard and Mm -hmm. Rodney Terry comes in. You had to win. And so what does that typically mean in college? That means playing your upperclassmen. That means getting shots to your, your trio of upperclassmen guards. Uh, mm-hmm. Sergei Barry Rice was at the combine, hardly played, but he was the vocal leader for one of the teams. Like mm-hmm. he, he's 24 years old, sixth year of college basketball. Marcus Carr, for years and years, has been the guy on all the teams he's played on at Minnesota mm-hmm. and Texas. Um, so he's uh, he's playing a fourth, fifth wheel. As you get Dylan Dessou, you get uh, Christian Bishop, all these guys touching the ball, and of course you get the transfer Tyrese Hunter. So I think what he meant by this is if they're trying to win. And my role is to be an energy guy. I'm going to be an energy guy because I want to play. So what I'm trying to show is that I can shoot. It was just something that we opted not to do because it wasn't experimentation time. So he told me that he's worked on a shot. The form's changed a little bit, but mostly it's just working up confidence and repetitions because he lacked those at Texas. Uh, From my perspective of watching him there, he moves differently than everyone else at the combine. He's that good of an athlete. Like I likened his ability to flip his hips to to that of a defensive back. like he, he is six foot nine and as graceful as you can be sliding your feet. And he jumps out of the gym, like he goes off one foot, two foot in layup lines, and all of a sudden, his head's above the rim, and it's without effort. And so he, he's that rare of an athlete. So here's my pitch for why I think, even though he shot very poorly in the second game, because he hit a three confidently hit a three in the first first scrimmage and then hit he's a left hander for those you don't know he went in and out left to right and hit a baseline jumper he hit those two shots in the first game because he hit those i thought for certain there was not a chance he'd play the next day and then i honestly am thrilled that he did that to have the confidence the chutzpah to go out there and play play again after knowing that's your knock and you and you kind of push that aside you come out and play and he shot poorly but he kept shooting and then he eventually got a little tip in or something, pedestrian stats, but his impact was enormous. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he follows the ilk of a guy like Peyton Watson, who Mm -hmm. averaged three points a game at UCLA the year prior, was the 30th pick, and it doesn't even look like the Nuggets got it wrong. Like I just did for a podcast for the Jazz, and -hmm. I looked at the 28th pick. The 28th pick has two big hits in Jaden McDaniels and Jordan Poole, and the rest of them don't do anything. So at 30, if you're going to take a guy with upside, you might as well take the best athlete in the class. And so that's my pitch right there. Peyton Watson, I watched him play at the very end of the year against the Jazz. He had a play where he went so high in the air, he fell on his back. I was like, oh, my God, the guy's going to be out for a year. Got up and <laughs> ran the floor and got an and one. Um, I think Bill and Mitchell can provide energy minutes, eventually learn to shoot well enough to be on the court. And even if not, you got a guy who's an energy backup big who can play small ball big. So I think he made himself a ton of money by playing the Combine.
0: That the Dylan Mitchell comp with, with Watson makes a ton of sense to me. So, so similar guys of being, you know, not very productive one and done college guys, but high level athletes. And yeah, if you're picking in the late first round and you have the ability to, you know, if you're the jazz and it's your third first round pick, or you're a team that has the ability to, to draft a guy and maybe wait on him a little bit because you already have a full rotation. You're a team with NBA championship aspirations who tends to be picking in the late first round. Like, Mitchell's a guy who makes a ton of sense because either he contributes right away, which is a huge bonus, or he doesn't and you develop him over time if he doesn't pan out most people picked in the late 20s don't pan out if he does pan out awesome, you probably made yourself a really good pick and and I like that comparison a lot because I can see why a team picking in that range might totally make this decision here on him. Well, leaf we got a pair of West Coast guards to talk about to close out the show here on the On College Basketball Podcast. Very different West Coast guards, mind you. We're going to talk about UCLA one and done, Amari Bailey. We're also going to talk about Brandon Pajemski, one of the biggest risers throughout the college basketball season. Before we get to those guys, though, we're going to take a quick break. All right, segment three, Stoity Patton, still locked on college basketball podcast, still here with the great Leaf Tulane talking NBA draft combine and his experience there, checking out the event, getting an opportunity to talk to many of the players who are participating. And we got two more guys we want to talk about here to close out the show. Uh, I want to lead talking about Amari Bailey, a guy who. Uh, was productive at UCLA. He doesn't quite fall into that Peyton Watson category or that uh, Dylan Mitchell category averaged over, over 10 points per game for the Bruins. But I think kind of came on really late. It felt like there was a chunk of the season where it was like, is he even going to be a one and done? Could he be a guy who comes back to UCLA for year two? And he made it pretty clear. He's not planning to do so. And he, he did a, a lot of favors for himself by playing very well down the stretch, really taking on a bigger role after Jalen Clark suffered that injury, Uh six foot five guard, again 11 points per game two and a half assists about four boards um really nice three-point shooter as well just under 39 percent for the season leaf what did you see out of Amari Bailey during the the combine was there anything that kind of stood out that maybe you didn't know that he had in the bag or anything that that kind of helped him potentially rise his stock ahead of the draft
1: I I wouldn't say it was necessarily shocking but he shot the ball well uh Mm -hmm. both in field goal percentage and just kind of demonstrated touch that you could have put as a concern since a lot of his shots are layups or catch and shoots. Um, he is extremely left-hand dominant. And there is one, uh, there's one train of thought that says, wow, that is unsustainable. And the other train of thought is like, I'm impressed. He's so quick and so able mm-hmm. to get to his left. Maybe there weren't extensive scouting reports given yeah. to these guys and the scrimmage teams, but he was able to get to his left in both scrimmage games all day long. I have my notebook here that I took mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure in the two games, Mari Bailey played, I jotted down every single time he went right. And it was about <laughs> twice and he went left every other time. And I yep. pretty much jotted down a note every time he did anything mm-hmm. uh, that said, he was good. Like he was one of the more polished scores because he would get to his left. He'd finish and he demonstrated an ability when he did go right, rarely to kind mm-hmm. of stop, lean back and shoot his lefty little fade and he mm-hmm. knocked them down. So I think he improved his stock. I do not think he can play point guard. It would be my concern. Yeah. I felt like his passing reads, even though he had a, n- a fair number of assists were a bit late. His pick and roll reads were typically, Hey, I'll shoot it once I, once I hold you off long enough and I get to an area where I can shoot. Uh, so I think he's a two guard, which limits his upside. In my opinion, I think the point mm-hmm. guard, because he'd be a bigger point guard, as opposed to a smaller two guard, yeah. uh, limits his upside. But I wouldn't be shocked if he goes at the end of the first round, a team buys the fact that he can get wherever he wants, that he's younger, mm-hmm. uh, He's a very different player from Pochemsky that we're going to talk about next, uh, but I think both improved their stocks based on the the virtues that they possess. They, they showed those rather than showing glaring deficiencies, which is what kind of hurts some of these players that really plug in the point like, hey, he is bad at this and there's nothing you can do about it, where those guys just showed their strengths and, and hammered home their strengths rather than trying too many new things.
0: With with Bailey, one thing I'm, I'm I'll be interested in too, because I think you're absolutely right. He's going to be a, an undersized two guard who you know has the quickness and the ability to to score at the NBA level. But what is that defense going to look like? Because I thought he was a solid defensive player at UCLA. But if you're an undersized two guard in the NBA and you're not going to play point guard, you have to be good on that end of the floor. Otherwise, unless you're C.J. McCollum and you're such an unbelievably gifted scorer, and even C.J., like the Blazers learned you can't really win with him as your two-guy because there's not enough defense. Of course, when you pair him with Damian Lillard, it's particularly problematic. But Bailey feels like a guy who can probably be a pretty impactful player on the defensive end of the floor. Is that the impression you got from him?
1: Yeah, I I think he's got the uh, abilities to be that. Uh, the yeah. reason I phrase it that way is I think he's got very good lateral speed. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if he knows how to defend yet. Sure. Like Mick Cronin's a very good college defensive coach, mm-hmm. someone who packs it in, makes you shoot over the top. Yeah. They force a decent number of turnovers, but really their defense is their pace of play. Mm-hmm. Like they play so slow that you don't get fast breaks. You're They're going to win the, the turnover margin by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if he knows how to scramble over screens and do the things that make you an elite defensive two guard in the NBA. Uh, he's got the capacity with with the agility, and uh, he's got pretty good length for his size. He's about six four with with fairly long arms. But uh, I think that one's to be determined. It depends. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, like, say he goes to the Miami Heat, like yeah. that—that's a place where I feel like they'll teach him defense, and he could be very good if he buys in. Whereas mm-hmm. I think there's landing spots where he could be a subpar defender just off of right. kind of like, oh, I can do this because I'm athletic. And then the NBA, he's just another dude as opposed right. to an above average athlete.
0: Well let's switch over to talk about our final guy for the day that is of course Brandon Pajemsky, who we teased a little bit earlier very different player from Amarly, Amari Bailey as you said different story as well is kind of the uh, one of the poster boys in the modern NI or excuse me modern transfer portal era of Hey, sometimes you can transfer, and I hate this phrase, and I've said that multiple times on the show. Transfer down uh, and go from a mid major, a Power Five program, to a mid major program where you're going to get more exposure, more playing time. Uh, Pajemski started at Illinois, start, moved over to Santa Clara, picked a school that had just recently had significant NBA success in Jalen Williams, and he's following that up. And looks like you know a potential for there to be back-to-back first-round picks out of Santa Clara. I think Pajemski's kind of right in that maybe late first, maybe second round kind of spot. And again, he, he scored more points in his first game at Santa Clara than he did his entire freshman season at Illinois, which is a fact that I like to bring up whenever I can. 20 points per game was co-WCC player of the year with Drew Timmy, which was a bit questionable whether that should have happened. But no disrespect to Bajemsky at all. Uh, 20, 20 a game, just under nine boards a game four assists, really, really good three-point shooter, and a guy who has kind of just showed a little bit of everything on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, feels like a lot of people got to learn about him for the very first time last week. What were the things that you kind of took away from from how he performed at the Combine?
1: I think the biggest takeaway for him is just how well he sees the game. Like, yeah. you watch him in the WCC and there's only a couple teams that have the athletes that are on Mm -hmm. par or even close to on par with what he faced at the Combine. Mm -hmm. And so basically that means the reads have more time to be made because there's less good reaction time, there's less length. Uh, I thought he was the best passer at the Combine. Mm -hmm. I thought he got to spots and made his team look better, particularly in the first scrimmage. He stood out, hit his shots from both the mid-range and from three, silky smooth left-hand jump shot, and he made decisive impressive and timely reads. And that's something I mentioned about Bailey lacking. I thought whenever he ran the pick and roll, he was late passing the ball. But was right on the, right on the money hit the guy in the numbers and was, was doing it uh, decisively. So uh, I, I think he's made himself a case to go in the first round. Mm -hmm. I'm not certain he goes there, but I think he's made a case for it. And then uh, he had a really good line. And so I hope I don't butcher this. It was effectively, (laughs) I was talking to him and he said, I'm a, I'm a hooper who can shoot, not a shooter who can hoop. <laughs> and that, that's what, what he wanted to clarify because he wanted to say, look, I can play basketball. It's not just mm-hmm. because I'm white, uh, and mm-hmm. I think that was reading between the lines, oh, that yeah. I can just shoot. I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think he wanted to prove that no matter who he's playing against, no matter the competition level, the size mm-hmm. of the players he's playing against, that he's going to be able to hoop and, and make the right basketball plays and still score if he wants to. So mm-hmm. I thought he did a really good job of demonstrating that, and I thought that was a pretty fun line as well.
0: Leaf, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show to give us your expertise, your insight, your conversations from the NBA Draft Combine. That's four guys we covered today. There's literally 70-plus more. Hopefully we'll get more opportunities to to speak to you about other players who are at the combine and, and, and draft stocks up, draft stock down, of course, we're a week away from finding out who is actually going to for sure stay in the draft process, who's not. So we'll get some more opportunities to to kind of react to some of that stuff. But again, thank you for, for jumping on the show. Always appreciate it. I always appreciate you coming on.
1: I, I love talking ball no matter mm-hmm. no matter when, no matter NBA, college, or anything. So <laughs> I, I wish I had a clever line like Pujanski, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> a guy who can talk ball. It doesn't matter, college or NBA.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's going to do it for us today. We'll end on that joke there. Um, thank you so much for, for listening to the show. All of you everyday listeners, whether this is your first show, 20th show, 100th show, whatever it may be, we sincerely appreciate all of you. You can find the show. Wherever you already get your podcasts, you can also find us on YouTube if you have not done so yet. We're about 30 away from hitting our main goal of 1,000. Uh, I've been saying I want to get there before the NBA draft, but folks, we can get there before June. If you all want to help us out, you can just jump on YouTube, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. It is very much appreciated. All right. Thank you all for listening, and peace out.